Welcome to another episode of Season 2 of the Panjway Podcast. As always, you can find our episodes on all podcast platforms, as well as YouTube and Facebook for the video episodes. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button on your platform of choice, and if you enjoy what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review. If you want to support the podcast financially, we've set up a few ways for you to do so this season. You can become a patron by hopping over to patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up for a small monthly donation. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can find us on Venmo at The Panjoy Podcast. And last but not least, we've got a small selection of merchandise in our store, so if you head over to thepanjoypodcast.com and click on the store tab, you'll see stickers and other merchandise, and who knows what might come down the pipeline. So remember, on all three platforms, that's The Panjoy Podcast, P-A-N-J-W-A-I Podcast. Thank you. I'm telling you, I don't remember much. I remember like little bits and pieces here and there. All right, so we are we are sitting here today with uh, what rank did you retire at, Leonard? Tech Sergeant. Tech Sergeant Leonard Anderson, uh, who was a military working dog handler with the United States Air Force in Panjway for an unfortunately brief moment of time <laughs> uh, in 2012. Sure, for um, a couple minutes. Couple couple minutes. What was the number of patrols again? A four or five. Four or five. I got my, I actually found my little book. Uh, <laughs> and oh, I was yeah. reading it the other day, and I'm like, oh, I remember that. Okay, <laughs> cool. It's only a so, couple pages. Yeah, Leonard was, uh, he was with us at Spurwingar um, when, uh, when he got hurt. So he's going to talk to us today a little bit about his experiences leading up to that deployment. Uh, his brief experiences on the deployment before... Uh, before he uh, won the leg lottery or the hand lottery, the hand lottery, the hand before lottery. I, I was picked. I was hand picked. Hand picked. <laughs> hand picked <laughs> by some Afghanis. Uh, oh man, that's good. Um, but yeah, so Leonard, thank you for uh, thank you for agreeing to join us and tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Um, completely selfishly, you know, I'm a huge dog guy as a mainly as a result of what you know working with you and the other canine team so i thank you for making me a, a weirdo living by myself in a cabin in alaska so well, two, yeah with two dogs <laughs> with, with two dogs, with two dogs. Yeah. yeah two, oh, okay. two dogs of, of the breed of which both i was gonna say and two duchess yeah. of all that like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thank thank you for that and thank Absolutely, you for joining man. us <laughs> yeah hey thanks for having me you know thanks for having me in afghanistan too it was a blast we had a good time yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I was, you're not wrong. You you're called wrong. and I came, and yeah, and it was a blast. And the rest was, was yeah, a blast. blast. It was a couple yeah. blasts, but it was a couple blasts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so I feel, the, better, I feel better getting taken out by the IED than the tree shrapnel. That's yes. true. Yeah, yeah, you don't. You yeah, will, that's not how you want to go home. A, no, a piece that's of all I saw was a tree stuck in a tree, and I'm like. I would hate to go home with that story. <laughs> yeah. So, Len, the way we kind of usually open these things up, we give you a couple minutes to uh, give us a very brief background about you know why you decided to join the Air Force, how you ended up becoming a canine handler, and uh, kind of like that that short track of events that kind of led up to you 
ending up at Massimgar and realizing you're going out to Spurwingar. So like, you know, five minutes or so is going <laughs> to give us the brief background. Yeah, five minutes. Let's, let's do a five minute speech real quick. Oh, hey man, you're gosh. on, you're on the elevator and you're pitching it to a movie agent. <laughs> Ooh. Now we're talking, uh, wait, we've already been down that road. We're not, we're not, no, 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 no. But, um, no, like you said, I was, uh, I was in the air force for roughly 10 years. I think when, when we got over there in 12, I was just hitting right near my 10 year mark. And so uh, mm-hmm. I was, Started off security forces, 2002. Um, you know, I, to be blunt, like I've always been with all my other interviews when they asked, why did you join? Uh, I didn't have a specific, I was a bad kid. I just put it that way. So sure. I didn't even know what I was getting into. My dad, they just kind of kicked me in the door and were like, hey man, this is your option or you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. So... Ran with At least it. you ended up in the Air Force, not the Marine Corps or the Army. Well, he so. was yeah. he was prior, he was prior Air Force, uh, so okay. he, okay, yeah, he sense. gave me a little bit of direction. <laughs> yeah. However, was, I was going to say, I, I think come, you're supposed to end up as eleven Bravo when this happens to you. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I got accused of a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, he just he pushed me that way, and you know, I didn't know I was ignorant to the entire Armed Forces. Um, I didn't know anything past what you saw in like commercials or whatnot. So. Mm-hmm. You know, little did I know that I would love it. I'd be good at it. Um, and I'd want to make a career of it. Mm-hmm. And I did. So um joined Security Forces where I kind of did a lot of like uh nuclear convoys for about five or six, well, four or five years. Mm-hmm. Then we had a lot of cool training, but we weren't deploying. Right. And at that point, that was the my focus was I need I wanted to get that's why, I mean, why, why else get trained? Sure. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to you know do it if you ain't going to use it. So uh asked the quickest way to get, you know, to Afghanistan, and I was in my window. They told me K-9. K-9 has combat deployments, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, cool, sign me up. And uh, I didn't know a thing about dogs. I didn't know anything about <laughs> the breeds or nothing. And it clicked, man. I mean, I went to school and just yeah, made sense one day. Like, you know, the psychology of it. Um, I'm sure I had unorthodox ways, especially as compared to some others. Um, and I loved it. I was, I mean, I already had the gun training. Now I had the dog training. Sure. Put it all together. And, uh, you know, my entire focus during the, the whole canine career field was deployment minded. I trained for deployments and, Mm-hmm. Was ready at any time. I went once in 2007 to 2008, and I was at uh, Bagram for a little mm-hmm. while. And then um, 2012, I PC, well, two, excuse me, 2011, I PCS to Alaska. 2012, <clears throat> I was deployed to Kandahar, where I went through a bunch of stuff. And then kind of like some pre training, making sure you knew what you know, you were doing in the area, kind of some of the ROEs for what you're to expect, you know, kind of out on patrol, distractions sure. and whatnot, just to make sure you're good to go. And lo and behold, I'd actually uh, promoted, you know, so I was waiting on a promotion when I got back and the senior chief there just pulled me in and said, Hey man, you're not staying here. You're headed to muscle guard. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. 
what's that? He, he's like, yeah. he's like, well, yeah. there's a reason you question. Had you heard anything about it? Yeah. Right. That's his day. Have you heard any? Well, yeah, we got a guy coming back for, you know, a couple of weeks to kind of decompress. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's decompress. a good sign. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, all right, cool. I ain't heard anything about this. And as soon as he got back, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to take over that place. Ooh, good luck. Like, what am I getting into? Mm-hmm. And, you and know, to kind of like set the background here, first off, the the canine community in, in general is really it's not like a separate community between the different branches. They're kind of just one group. Yeah, they all trained. Yeah. They're all trained in the same place. They're all certified by the same trainers and handlers in uh, San Antonio. It's an Air Force program. Um, so if you're in the Army and you're a dog handler, you go to an Air Force school to get certified. Yep. Um, but at Massimgar, it was one kennel. And so you had Navy dog handlers, Air Force dog handlers, Army dog handlers. I think we had um, eight. Or at least what? we were slotted for eight, I believe. And yeah. we had six or seven because, I, I mean, not to sound morbid, but they kept getting hit. They yeah. did. Because of the pandemic, um, yeah. That was a dangerous, dangerous year for dogs yeah. and handlers. I mean, Brazos. I, I pretty much replaced Brazos. Mm-hmm. You know, Brazos, Brodsky. Yep. Um, both lost their lives. Williams lost his dog. Um, oh, Williams. I remember Williams, man. That's yeah. a good dude. Still talking to him every once in a while. Good. Good. He's a great Other than the fact that he's a ginormous human being. <laughs> yeah. he, he is the only person that he could get huge. away with having a 120 pound German shepherd as a yeah. dog when he and told me what happened, A, I was like, wow. And then when we first met, it was actually funny because, you know, I was big kind of gym rat. He was a big gym rat. We both played softball and we had actually wound up playing with, with similar people that we had just never met. Yeah. Man, we were going, we were talking shit from day one to each other. It was, <laughs> it was good, man. I didn't know he replaced me out there, but yeah. 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 Williams was a good dude. And uh, for our audience who aren't fault, Williams' uh, dog Dynamite was killed in an IED blast. Um, essentially saving Williams by yeah. taking the blast himself. Mm. Um, so and it was out of nowhere, right? Like in the back of the patrol, just kind of. I don't remember the specifics, honestly. Um, and I don't want to speak to it, but I, I right. do remember that. I do remember the part where the dog stepped on it. Um, the dog might have even have indicated on it and it might have been an offset charge. Could have um, been. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember I mean, some, we, something we along s- those lines. The dog was in front of him. A little bit. Yeah. 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 And, you know, basically took the part of the charge. And uh, that was a bad year for dog handlers, man. I mean, well, I mean, not just dog handlers, though. It was a bad year for. Well, yes. Anybody yeah. in that spot. Like, it was. Yeah, that's true. But when you look but at you it statistically, it. I mean, there's only eight dog handlers, you know, mm-hmm. in that part that's, of the country. And I can 20%. count four of them four. that either the dogs or the handlers were killed. Yeah, 50%. <sighs> Yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, wow. even when I was going out there to take over, that's one of the things they told me. They were like, "Look, you're you're going to be allotted for this, but this is the history behind it. So you know, you're mm-hmm. probably only going to be have yeah. this many dogs. And so technically, I didn't really even have to go off base, right? But that wasn't going to be any fun. So right, I immediately I was like, "How long do I have? Two weeks? Cool. I want to go. You know." put me in every little spot that these guys are going to go. So at least when I get there, I can be like, your dog is going to be best suited, you know, for this area, for these type missions, you're over here. 
updated training aids, you know, so that we can work on exactly what we're, we're looking at in the ground. Yeah. Then if they change their, you know, their ROEs, it's change our aids, you know? Right. But. Well, that's important too, is the way that we utilize the handlers was borderline abusive. <laughs> we would be like, we would, we would take one and be like, Hey, you're going to spend three weeks at Spur One Gar. And then you're going to get like a week of yeah. break at Massengar. And then we're going to send you to Mushan. And then you're going to come back. And you're going to take a break at Massengar. And then you're going to go to Talacan. Yeah. Then you're going to get so, an assault randomly in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then there'd always be guys that would go out and do stuff like that. Like those big battalion missions. Or they'd loan them to SF or like all yep. this crazy shit. Like those dudes never got comfortable. They were always in a place for a couple weeks. And then they're moving. Mm-hmm. A, I think part of it was to spread the experience out. Because it was so different in each area. Um, and some areas were safer than others, just being blunt. Uh, but man, those dudes were always on the move. Like we yeah. I mean, even me being new in country, you know, when I got to talking, I, I don't remember exactly which LT it was. I told him flat out, like, yo, you gotta be an idiot. If you think these dogs are going to roll around for eight hours and be doing their thing, they can't like. Yeah, I'll keep her up there as long as I possibly think that it's safe for me to walk behind her, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, you can't do anything. You really can't do anything else. I mean, yeah, and that, I mean, that, that's a good uh, that's a good point. You know, the, the dogs need breaks, too. Oh, yeah. Like they can only work so hard and go. For and so if you long. push them, that's the problem is people weren't realizing you got to think mission orientation as far as, okay, am I here for a day or two? Am I here for three or four? Mm-hmm. How hard do I need to run this dog so that we can get back tomorrow? How mm-hmm. hard do I need to run this right. dog so that they're not waking up in the morning and, you know, just they're done. And, you know, we got a whole day without a dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of fact. It's kind of like the water thing, man. I was always carrying extra water. I'd come back and I'm looking at my eyes and like, Bitch, you gonna drink some water? Like, <laughs> I'm tired of carrying these things. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, now, how, of- when did you? Uh, when were you assigned Asa? Uh, and I'm sorry, it's Asa A Z Z A. Yeah, A Z Z A. Um, it's actually just sitting over there up on the uh, shelving unit. Um, hi, hi Asa. <laughs> what was it? Yeah, right. She's out there just chilling. She got her own little corner. Um, it was probably six or seven months before I left. Maybe maybe a year tops. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we had time, but sure. we were also in Alaska in the negative, you know, 20 degrees at the time because we got the tasking like mid, I think like midwinter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then rolled out to Vegas in May. And Megas was like environmental training. Was that the kind of the idea? Yeah, that's that? where we had kind of our uh, pre-deployment type training. Okay. Um, one of them, you sure. know, like you said, all the branches kind of fell within. They also had a training place out in Yuma ran by the Marines, which was, I, I really wanted to go to that course, check it out. Um, right. Never had an opportunity, but I heard it was a, a jam up course. And now these were these dog specific courses or were yeah. they? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And the Marine, the, the thing with the Marine was, is, you know how the Air Force, Air Force don't like to fail people. <laughs> everybody so, gets a trophy. Right. Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> so when we were sending some of these guys out to Yuma and, you know, the Marines, they don't give a fuck. I mean, you're a no-go. You yeah. know, you're, you're not good enough to go. Well, 
I, I don't think the Air Force realized how serious that is. And so they were, instead of being like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we need to reevaluate this. We'll just, we'll do our own thing over here and they'll pass. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think you were getting some of the watered down talent, you know, making it out that way that sure. may have had not, no business being outside the wire. I mean, and it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, there was a, there was a wide range of capabilities that rotated in an office Berwingar. Um, and we've mentioned it a couple times. Without question, the best handlers we had were the Navy and the Air, uh, Air Force handlers. Oh, yeah. They, were, they were more consistent. Well, you Their had dogs, jo- you were had more jobs, man. That's not fair. You had, you had, a, super, you had a superhero That's Navy true. dude. Yeah, yeah, we had we had Jones at Roy Ball. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean Yeah, <laughs> Salazar. I mean Salazar. really good handlers, man. Fucking pretty good little Salazar. squad going. Yeah. yeah. We got lucky on the dog handlers, man. Mm-hmm. Brazos. Well, I, I think whoever handlers. was sending them out that way probably knew. Like Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Now well, granted, I do know that you know, there were a couple from that well, whatever you want to call it, rotation that they didn't make it. They got sent back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were, and yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I was watching them like, bro. No offense, I don't know how you made it this far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and our our company commander. I mean, if 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 the, if a handler team came to us and they fucked up and they created a problem or they weren't doing the work, he wouldn't take them back. No. That's good. So, I mean, I know that happened at least once where a handler basically tried to quit in the middle of a mission and asked for a medevac. I know like in, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we keep names out. But, you know, tried to get back to the middle of a mission. We're like, get the yeah. fuck out of here. Yeah, no man. way. Get the fucking uh, shot at. I never just, saw him again. Yeah, same. That, yeah, Thankfully. I, I, yeah. I know. Yeah. And he was armed. I was going to have to deal with that after I took yeah. over, too. I was, I was already, like, pre-briefed into that situation. So yeah. I'm like, uh, oh, this ought to be interesting. So I was kind of curious when I got out there the first couple of days, like, all right, I don't know who my who my relief like I don't know who was here before me. I don't even know all the people in my you know in the kennels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was waiting to see what kind of reaction I got when I got boots on ground there. Like, all right, either these guys had a good handler and we're gonna be cool, or they had a really crappy one. <laughs> and I'm gonna hear about it, and then I'm gonna have to hear about it. Like any little thing I do, somebody's gonna be like, "Hear the book, dog handler." Like, ah. Well, it was good that you were Air but, Force. That gave us that. That was a, you had you step up against uh, <laughs> against the Army handlers, and I feel like because we always had two at a time, or we usually had two at a time. Yeah. So usually they would have like a really strong handler with you know a, a learning handler. Yep. Um, and sometimes we got like the double whammy. You get Salazar and Jones. You got freaking two rock stars trading off back and forth. And you can't. But, yeah, you don't know which one to send who. Right. But uh, yeah, we were we were really fortunate. Um, yeah, it was, um, I was pretty, I was interested to see the route I was going to take, taken right. over as far as dealing with, cause we were getting new guys in. So I'm sure there's going to be a heavy rotation of people leaving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, man, I'm just, I mean, I get it. Everybody makes mistakes or has this, but if I see any little, like, I was a hard ass dude. I didn't know any other way to put it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I, I was a hard, if I wasn't the best, like I told Jones many times because I knew what his, him and his dog could do, mm-hmm. I was still going to be there the next day to tell you 
I'm beating you today. And <laughs> as long as I saw that mentality with others sure. or, you know, that spirit, I'm cool with you. We can work, you know, put you in the field, let you, you know, do what you're here to do. But, man, I hated lazy and, and yeah. So what, did, what, had, what was kind of your, because, I mean, you, you were hard charging from the minute you heard about this deployment. And not just for your own preparation, but for Asus as well. So oh, yeah. what were some of the things that you were doing for her? And she, cause she was an older Belgian Malinois. So yeah, you had six, she was six or six, six. That's six. right. Okay. So what were you doing to get her ready? Um, oh, we had her, man. I had her, um, cause it was cold. So even running on the ground out there in the snow and the ice is it's hard on the, the yeah, it's rough on the dog's pads and everything else. Um, so what I would do is I would take her to the community center when we were on duty or even sometimes I'd come in on the weekends and there were two things that I was worried about with her. One was, uh, her gunfire. Mm -hmm. Uh, she had had some gunfires issues before me and those are issues that seem to really engrave themselves in animals, especially from a young age, if they're not yeah. taken care of mm. and she had some issues. So I had that to worry about and I had, uh, her conditioning. Because I knew we were about to step into like one extreme to the next. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'd run her on a treadmill. I got some inclines going and I kind of kept pace of, you know, trying to work her hard enough like we had been on, you know, a mission that she was ready and, you know, she could get through that part of it. So I'd run her and then maybe take her over and do some training right after. Mm -hmm. Maybe right. even bring her back and run her depending on what kind of training I did, put her up address whatever you know um sometimes i would come in on the weekends man and i would play start looking up a lot of hunting dog stuff to get over yeah. the gunfire and yeah. i would ride around play cds and stuff from my iphone just random gunfire shots all over people probably <laughs> thought i was crazy riding around the control car <laughs> but it is what it is like I, yeah, she had issues that stuff. i needed fixed and we were anytime they were shooting a 50 out on the range or anything i would go park the truck out there and just let it rock. Let her get used to it. Yeah. It's a good call, and, uh, man. It's a good call because when, when the gunfire would kick off, some of the dogs couldn't handle it. You know, understand no, they, they, they'd no. freak out. And she honestly, she would, she had a hard time handling it. Mm -hmm. She, yeah. I mean, it, uh, me and her went to a couple of blows a couple of times. Just <laughs> she was spunky, man. She wanted to she fight. She was spunky. I mean, yeah. She right. wanted to fight. Um, she even bit me one time in training. We came up over a ridge, and I guess she had alerted on whoever was down in the um, in the washout area. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I wasn't catching it. I just thought we were on like a training patrol, kind of getting endurance up. And she kind of threw a pull, threw an alert, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Well, as soon as we peaked the ridge, now this is training. Boom! There's a dude right there shooting blanks up at me. So I drop the guy behind me starts lighting him up and she turns around and takes a chunk out of my arm because I wouldn't let her go and bite the dude. <laughs> and I was like, that's uh, that's, that's common with those breeds. My, yeah. mine, mine's bit me for the same reason. Yeah. It's well, it's a stress thing and they, mm -hmm. you know, it's, a, it's a communication thing at the end of the day, yep. but I was just looking at her like, so you thought, you thought biting me was just going to, I'm just gonna be like, all right, you know, dog off leash, go attack. Come on, baby. Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's really cool that you had the foresight to do that kind of training. 
because I feel like a lot of dog handlers that moved into those deployments, because those were unique deployments for dog handlers when they were going on patrol with infantry every mission instead of, you know, guarding the checkpoints or inspecting vehicles and stuff like that, which is kind of the normal mission set for military yeah well unless you're doing hard mission i mean unless you're right unless you're with soft and stuff like that. right and you're doing real real hard knocks on something or you got mission oriented stuff but just yeah but this idea uh, of going out on normal infantry patrols yeah covering 10 15 miles a day like that just wasn't something that the military working dog community was training for as a whole at that time so and it was obvious with a lot of our handlers that they weren't that that wasn't in their mind when before they deployed, and they're they're struggling to pay catch up the whole time. Well, that you so we train our the way we train our dogs was, uh, you know, it's it's not tracking. Some of them we did have combat trackers, but sure for for the most part it's air sent, you know, and and whatnot. So the minute we get in country, we had not heard, yo, you got a minesweeper ahead of you, right? And we're like, wait, what? Because the dogs are not used to bracketing with someone up in front of them. They're right. not used to having to operate, you know, with noises or things. So it changes the way you go about doing any type of search because now, you know, granted, I know how the dogs are proofed and trained and, you know, they can tell the difference between human and, you know, bomb scent, but they're not used to, to, to coinciding it at the same time with the adrenaline and everything else going. So, you know, you really, it was really a crapshoot at first until the guy, you know, Hopefully the dogs got used to seeing someone up there. But it's it's interesting you mentioned that because the way that they train dogs to detect things, they're they're all over the place. Like you said, they're bracketing the smell and they're moving. But in that environment, we couldn't just let dogs run loose because they'll step on something. Like so, it kind it was kind of like I'm sure it was confusing for the dogs. To have to like change their behavior, be like, no, I have to just smell in front of me. I can't smell the air. I have to be focused directly in front of me. Uh, right. And well, that that's why I think Barry was so good, to be honest. Um, Love that dog, man. Yeah, bro. He, uh, Barry was trained uh, as SSD originally. Oh, really? And Yeah. And I don't know how he washed out, what washed him out or whatnot, Jones had told me, but uh, it, somehow he washed out. Well, SSD, they trained that dog, you know, nose to the ground. Right. Um, and, and what does SSD tra- stand for again? Uh, specialized search, specialized search detection dogs, I believe. Okay. I think it's SSDD. Um, I don't know if they still had a school. It was Army RAN. It was like a separate little program that they were running within, um, it was basically just advanced detection, you know, basically right. a lot of labs and stuff like that going through it. Um, most failed? of your hunt breeds were going through it. Weird. But, um, yeah, so, he, you know, once he told me that and I watched him work, I was like, ooh, okay, I, I see now. Like, that, that's why you, you guys are definitely doing so well out here because once you train a dog to do that, he don't care about anything in front of him. He's, right. He's focused down. Right. Um, right. Other than his periphs and whatnot. And, um I think, you know, it's not something you couldn't train out of the dog. You know, you couldn't train into the dog, you know, had enough time. But had we had the information before, you know, I would have done all kinds of crazy patrols training. Sure. With someone in front of me, you know, especially when you start talking about taking fire, returning fire. Uh, Ozzel was close to that dude. He was closer to that dude than it was to me. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I always let her play and let her sniff and, you know, run around. I wasn't that, that tight to not socialize my animal. And I was hoping that would pay dividends, you know, God forbid something happened. It did. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah. But, and yeah, she, man, I watched the video. She was actually crazy well-behaved considering, you know, all that was going on. I was like, man, she's just kind of letting everybody run around. Yeah. That's cool. You know, licking the lieutenant's bone and the the helicopter and all that stuff. Like, <laughs> she was, man. I watched that part. She was uh, licking on his bone coming out. You heard him in the back. You're like, I was like, quit. <laughs> <laughs> bone, bro. Like, I'm su- surprised they didn't muzzle her on the aircraft. I probably couldn't find it. Because, oh. you know, I don't know where any of my stuff. I don't. I mean, the helmet was like a. I don't know. I guess like a scene out of a you know a cartoon or just boop. Yeah, it was. And gone. it went away. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I did watch too. I, I, dude, I tried to get up and walk out of the helicopter. <laughs> they didn't put that in there. I got to my knees. I got all the way up to my knees, and I, I reached up, and I was about to stand up right at the door. We were already off the ground, and uh, the medic had to like wrestle me back down and sit on top of me and everything. Like, how did I have strength to do that? <laughs> it's a preview for our audience. Now they're all interested. Like, what do you mean? What was he talking? Why is there a helicopter? Why are there? Why is there a helicopter? Like, what is going on? <laughs> Stand by. That's coming. That's coming soon. It's a, uh, it's called Tarantinoing. It's a real thing. Right. Uh, we're starting from the back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. So again thank you for turning me into a weird dog person, but having the dogs on the cop and on the patrols was so cool, man, especially the ones that were friendly enough to be pet, which all of them were except for Sean's dog. Um, Sicario was vicious, mm. but, Sean, I'm uh, Brazos. Oh, Brazos. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I know the dog. Yeah. His dog was, there was another Sean that actually, uh, well, I'm getting hurt from, Jeez uh, yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I feel it's related. I think oh, he, got a, okay. he got in a motorcycle accident or something. He got home. Okay. So, but yeah. Oh, so, there's a lot. But having them around, have... be able to pet them, be able to like play with yeah. them when you came back off a mission, bring them. Like my family would mail me treats so I could run over to the kennel and give the dogs treats and toys. Like that, that for me made that entire experience much easier. That's awesome. Well, I mean, that's, I would emphasize that to, yeah. to not just for, combat reasons and you know smells and all that good stuff but i mean you guys were over there for a grip bro like mm-hmm. you know the navy and the air force for the most part you know we were doing our little eight nine months you know and rotating out but y'all were i mean 15 months is a long time to be in there dealing with that craziness yeah. we were fortunate to be a nine-monther we were the one of the first oh okay, okay so uh, I thank God because 15 months of Spurwangar would have been. <laughs> I don't know how you would have. I don't know who who would have made it out of there with like sane. Nobody's done Nobody. it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, that's pretty yeah, true. They they abandoned the year long deployments right before us, and the Canadians did eight month deployments. So yeah, I don't think anybody's ever had to spend more than nine months on Spurwangar. That's yeah. good though. Because when it first kicked and they were doing those 15 months, I was like, oh, dude, long time. And we've heard of shit. That's too much. That's yeah, too much. it is. 
And they knew that was too much, but they had no choice. I mean, they had a choice. They could have just not done it. But they felt like they had no choice, so they just, nah, fuck these guys. It's fine. Well, I mean, even the rumor had it that some of, once your soft guys started bringing in their own dog teams and whatnot, um, they were damn near leaving their dogs over there and just rotating the people. Really? Until the dogs were, you know. Broken, man. Yeah, yeah. pretty much, like, spun out and didn't able to rotate the dogs. Now, I don't know if that's 100% true, but that, that was. I hope that's not true. That was the rumor I got. But, those, but you got to remember, these guys are selecting super dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're. You're talking about Isla's on steroids that mm. can even still, man. I mean, I've worked oh, yeah, there's with only some so much super dogs, and they all have yeah. their limits. They do. You know, perpetual. And we saw one at, uh, actually, at Eglin. Um, I went down there to, I think it was Judge of Canine Competition after I was hurt, and they had seven, they got seventh group down there now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of their dogs, Roy, I think his name was, um, same thing, man. He just he had too much, too many deployments, had all kinds of crazy stories and background. And basically, they the SF guys had worked out a deal with Eglin there, the Air Force guys, and he basically became an Air Force dog just just because he couldn't keep up with the ops symbol anymore. So yeah, yeah, cool dog. Yeah, crazy stories. I mean, he had a lot of. Well, a lot of crazy stuff, I think, like bites and all this different stuff. So, hmm. well, I, you know, I think everyone's pretty fascinated by working dogs. You know, yeah. like the the use of them in like the high profile soft missions, like Neptune Spear and the one that grabbed Baghdadi. I should have worn my. I have a shirt with Conan on it. Should have worn it. Mm-hmm. Screwed that up. Um, <laughs> so I mean, the well, super I mean, high I've profile. Well, I mean, where they jumped off for the Bin Laden thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and they oh, that was Cairo, or I think on that one, but uh, was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was a dog, but you know, people are really passionate about these things. So it was probably only an inevitable that it's, at some point somebody would try to do like a, a documentary on military working dogs, and it just so happened that they decided to try to make one while we were all there. <laughs> um, and you said you you actually heard, you heard about that whale before we did when you first got to Kandahar, yeah. right? I did, yeah. Like it, it was whispers of some documentary crew going around. I didn't know anything of it because right. it just wasn't my focus. <laughs> so, sure. uh, yeah. Because I remember we were we were at Spurwingar and someone made a comment. Ah, these fucking Animal Planet people animal coming planet. by, and we thought we we're like, oh, is that are they like making fun of like hippies or something or like is like. Well, we had no idea what they were really talking oh, about. We thought has animal planet MOS and right something like that. Walking around, but they're like, like, no, no, seriously, there's a documentary crew coming. We're like, what? What? Yeah, I mean, I'm like very perplexed. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, they're gonna go on missions with us. We're like, <laughs> this is mission, real life. Missions where this is really happening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of like when you walked into your guys's building out there, and the first thing you notice is the ceiling is all black. With footprints, yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of makes you go like, "What the hell happened here, bro?" Mm-hmm. I mean, did the world that, like kind of do a little? Eh, for that is that is OG and, from when the Taliban owned that schoolhouse. I heard so. that. That's what it is. somebody yeah. told me a story about it. <laughs> it was a uh, Taliban's way of marking it as yeah. sort of place like of that, bad spirits yeah. and kind of it's kind of it's kind of Taliban version of bad juju. And I know, and y'all were sleeping in it. Was bad juju. 
Uh, Y'all were sleeping in it. We were I in was the so down. I was so happy I wasn't sleeping in that building. I was like, Bro, it was a con- we had a concrete building. I'd slept in that if it was full of ghosts. <laughs> You're right. If I woke, if right. I woke up You're and right. there was like a little girl like crawling up on my bed, like a little girl ghost, they're like, hey man, <laughs> at least I'm not going to get mortared tonight. Come on in, <laughs> Make sweetie. yourself comfortable. That's true. Because I think my second night there, all I heard was tink, 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 tink. And I'm like, the hell's that? I went walking outside and I have a little, I think it was zoo, like, zoo, uh, zoo, zoo, zoo. yeah, it was iPod touch or something like that. And it was just like, ching, 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 all over the place. Like, yo, we're under attack. Like, oh my God. <laughs> this is just, I was sitting here talking to like, man, all these dudes in a concrete building over there, they just kind of chilling. Oh, Sleeping yeah. like babies. Like babies. <laughs> I was like, we're, I'm over here putting on a helmet. Trying to figure out how to get into that concrete building, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I just remember so, going up on the roof to drop my laundry and always making it a quick endeavor. Because you were you tried exposed. your laundry on the roof. Yeah, man. We get back from patrol, like my shit would be so sweaty. I take it up. I take it up on the roof. I lay oh, it out okay. so it dry off. So I remember go go up there and throwing it out, my socks and my combat shirt and stuff. Yeah, and then I run back. We downstairs. hung it in the kennels. We just hung it on the the uh, on the top part of the fence. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. But that I did see y'all go up there, and I was like, "Y'all, it's crazy." I, I mean, mean I, it made quick work. It's like you, yeah. you were exposed. Well, what would you have done if you got shot like, hanging up your laundry, man? Like, that's hey, <laughs> we'd have made up a cool story. <laughs> just bad luck. How are you going to tell cool your family story? that in the hospital in Germany? We, like, you well, know, I said to get my socks dry. We could have put it. We could have said he was one of those like guitar. Like he was up there playing the American national anthem, and then he just took one. Yeah, exactly. Got shot in the guitar. Jesus Christ, man! I was just trying to bring democracy to Afghanistan. One dried sock at a time. Well, I hit it. I hit this driver at the top, man. It took a hard turn. Oh yeah, they were. Yeah, they were shooting golf balls. I think they would shoot golf balls off the top of your Connex. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, we, they had a little mat uh-huh. there mm-hmm. one day. I think I saw it. And I'm like, what is this? And they're like, oh, yeah, they had golf balls up there. And I'm like, I'm not even going over there. <laughs> That's just, at, no, at, night, what I did. at night. At night. <laughs> right. And uh, Kim like goo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was always. Just get out there and start whirling it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mark, marking targets for the Kaya was the golf balls. <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> just coat it up here. The, Oh, we should have done that in the middle of like some stupid stuff at night. Just coated the golf balls like they were a neon grenade and just found like just woo. <laughs> Pray that you hear somebody on the other side like, oh no. The marking targets with neon golf balls. There you go. <laughs> um so when did you when did you know, find out that the you were actually gonna have to integrate with this documentary crew and start working with them? Um, well, it was right. It was actually right when I got to Mossam Okay. Um, they rolled into our little bee hut there, fast helmets and bearded out <laughs> and everything. And I didn't see any cameras. So immediately I'm like, who do you need? Or, you know, what do you need? And, uh, when they turned and they were like, well, we're the guys from Animal Planet. And I'm like, it's nice talking with you. I turned around and I, walked, I went straight back to my bunk. And I was like, I'm not. I don't want any part of this. Like, it's yeah. just not my cup of tea. Well, then all of a sudden, my little sheet come flying open, and they were like, well, they're here for you. Oh, man. What? what were like, yeah, we're here. We 
told to find a, a Sergeant Anderson. I'm like, oh, man, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hide when they call you out by name, buddy. I know, yeah, man. Right. So it just started right then. He just, uh, I mean, the dudes were cool. Yeah, they were just the doing awesome job. dudes. But, yeah, uh, the dudes were yeah. sweet, man. Yeah, they're they pretty cool. Yeah, it just, I mean, they wanted to hang cameras on you know, everything. That was kind of everything. the thing. What, what was going through your head, man? Like when they when they came down and they tracked you down specifically, what were you thinking? Well, what the hell did I do? I was like, what what did I do to do like of all people, if you would have known me prior to that, mm-hmm. that would have been the last person you chose for that. Just because I had the worst <laughs> mouth. You know, I was I, I mean, I was pretty much known for being kind of an asshole as it was. Not exactly like TV smile friendly when I'm doing my job, mm-hmm. and right as most people aren't, <laughs> right? And really? uh, they came in and they called my name. And I'm just looking at him like, "Who told you? Like, where where did this come from?" The senior chief. I'm like, "God, my same dude that sent me out here." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, from there it was a matter of you know I, I stress the importance of. You will not get in the way of, you know, me or my brothers, you know, conducting yeah. operations. You're not going to like, if I feel like you're, you're hindering us in any type I will cut it and yeah. you can, you can walk back on your own. Um, and I'll tell and you, man, it, they, they held their own. I mean, they did. They, they did. did. Well, they, I knew, they were, they I knew were the fit guys. guys. They were both veterans. They, yep. one of them was like a mar- former Marine, like machine gunner, like, right. And yeah. so he sent them out there to me and, uh, we got just got to talking and filming and I mean, he was pretty, cause I think his prior service kind of allowed him to know when to interject and when to sit back and, you yeah. know, do all that good stuff. So, I mean, I remember on the patrols that they were on with us, like some, I, I wouldn't even know that they were there. Like we'd come yeah, back from was, the mission and be like, you were with us? Like, yeah, we were, yep. there. he was chilling in the back. I was like, wow. Okay. Well, he did. I think they relied a lot on GoPro um, because Heavily. they didn't really, you know, they're really the only crazy live footage they got was just so happened to be what I'm, you know, when it got blown up and they were looking yeah, over my shoulder. Yeah, standing right behind you. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I mean, it's also worth noting like this, Yeah, the directive for this project came from very, very high in the military. Yeah. Like whoever sponsored this had several stars on their shoulders. I don't know who it was. I have no idea who it was, but because, you know, Captain Kitching tried to push back against taking those guys out on our patrols. Like, Colonel Rutherford tried to push back on taking oh, those I mean, guys I wasn't on happy patrols. I, like, I didn't want. Nobody I, I wanted them there. I attempted to get them out of the way, and they just. Yeah. But that, like somebody said, really wanted them there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, he did, like I said, he did a good job. And there was only once where I looked over, and he was like, uh, I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was like 50 meters away to the right, nowhere we've been walking. Hmm. Looking over this like concrete wall, videotaping some local villagers, and I just start sharing. I'm like, "What? What are you? What the hell are you doing over there?" And he's like, "Oh, I, I, I wasn't paying attention, man. I got off track." And I'm like, Let's "Walk in the same footsteps yeah. you walked to get out there and over back to me. Come back to me." Mm, yeah. And when you know we had to start our patrol again, but well, and, and that's a that's a good point to clarify nobody had any issues with craig and i can't i can't remember for the life of me the the sound mark. guy's name yeah mark, mark. Yeah. yeah so the, the the two dudes were awesome they listened they oh did yeah. everything we wanted them to do they were never i never felt like they were in our way um i'm glad they were there especially the day that you were there like 
Uh, I think it was the bigger, the bigger project, the idea mm-hmm. of like we're gonna we're gonna cr- inject this into your operations. And well, see, here's my thing about it too. I always wondered this: How does a cameraman who caught all that footage and did the stuff he did, like, how does that not become a story? You know, How many I, cameramen have you known that have done some crazy stuff like that, picked it up? Just, <laughs> it amazes me that no one has been right. like, hold up, there's like cameraman of the year or some crazy stuff. Like, there ain't nobody doing what he did. Mm. I, I think, you know, and, and we'll, you know, we talked about this a little in the pre-interview is that when they, I think part of that is because when the documentary came out, it didn't do so great. No. Um, yeah, and no, it had I, nothing to do with the performance. As anybody who's ever been in a TV show will know, nothing that you see is real because once it once because the camera guys get there and the audio guys get there and they pass it off to the editors and the producers and they create this thing that's completely different than what actually happened yeah so craig busted his ass he did all these amazing things he helped save your life but at the end of the day day. we talk all the time yeah he's a great dude and but at the end of the day like the documentary didn't do well because the producers fucked it up um, and they, you could tell when I watched it, like, uh, I would be talking to my family in one segment and then click to another one. And I'm like, whoa, that was not anything yeah. to do with that. Right. This was a completely right. separate incident. So, it, so yeah, I, it was, I think, I think that's part of it also because that part of the documentary was at the very end. Um, so, well, that gave them everything. It did. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, we if, pretty- if, no offense, right? Kind of boring if they documentary. Would, if that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy because it was almost like that was their savior. It, you mm-hmm. know that if somebody didn't get hurt, blown up, or you know something crazy, they weren't going to get the content they needed. No, and I think you were saying that they were worried just before that mission happened that they weren't they didn't have enough content. Yeah, that's what he told me. He goes, uh, "We need to get out in this area more because." You know, we've heard about the area, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the guys over in Hellman have been there for six weeks and just like, yeah, they're fighting and stuff, but they're not going out. They're not getting footage. We've been here a week and you've already had like IEDs and freaking stuff blow up over here and yeah, people trying to pick you off. I'm like, this isn't normal. Like, I thought this was normal. <laughs> it felt normal. Most of the time. <laughs> that right. Like, I swear that I was looking around and I'm like, I. These guys don't seem worried. (laughs) Right. Like everybody else is just kind of going about their day. I mean, I go about my day. Thought this Mm. was normal. And they're like, no, man, this is not going on in other places. Oh, (laughs) I didn't feel like I'm really fighting. Yeah. Because, I mean, you really weren't. But it's just like, yeah, I didn't realize that we were so lucky. Is that, the, is that the word? <laughs> well, it's a word on, for it. It's a word. So we'll, we will now bring our audience to the apex of the story, um, the day, which is the, the day, day that, that you uh, you found an IED. The day I found out where the Taliban was hiding. You found out where they were hiding one. <laughs> and they was on a moped. Yep. So <laughs> That's the only thing. <laughs> that that morning, you went out with Third Platoon, um, which was Lieutenant McGrath and uh, and his men, and into an area called Pai Maluk, which up until that point generally. was generally Fairly safe. Yeah, yeah, it was close. Um, I mean, we we'd been in dozens of times, 
to Ply Maluk, maybe get a pop shot here or there, if even that. Uh, we had not hit any IEDs in Ply Maluk before. Um, they had a really big civilian population, which kind of generally keyed away from having the IEDs in the ground. Um, so can you tell us well, a little bit about... Correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't they all gone that day? I'm not sure. I wasn't out there, so I don't... I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. These are the worst people to ask. <laughs> were you out there in Luke? Why were you out there? Yeah. Probably getting Taking shot at somewhere else. Um, yeah, more likely. What do you remember about that day? Like the lead up to that mission? And I know you said it's not much, so maybe it's... No, it's not, man. I That, yeah, the whole blast and everything, that whole day is just a blur of it in pieces. It's really weird. Like, I remember... Hmm. I remember thinking the same thing we were all thinking, like, what the hell are we doing? Mm-hmm. Because it was, I think it was like the first day of Ramadan, um, and Captain Kitchen was dead set on, hey, we're, you know, we're not going to lack off just because it's yeah. Ramadan. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Like, it is what it is. And uh, so we weren't exactly thrilled about the mission, but at the same time, I mean, y'all know how we were doing it every day. Mm-hmm. So what's another day? And, um, man, I don't remember much at all except for what I've seen in the videos of how I was told of what happened. Sure. Um, and I remember, well, like, like doorbells now, I didn't think I would ever, ever have a problem with doorbells, but as of late, like doorbells, just that loud ping, Mm -hmm. I still hear it Hmm. like Mm. right now. It never went away. Was that just a, a sound that you heard when the blast went off? Yep. Interesting. It was, uh, I, I literally, f- I heard ping, like a loud doorbell, kind of like your ears are blown and, you know, you have that mm. ringing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar to that, but just all at once. Sure. And um, I literally, I remember feeling I was like floating in air, kind of like uncontrollably. That's because you were. And thinking. Well, I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I was I was blacked out. Like I don't I can't tell you yeah. any specifics or like if it was real. Um and I remember the kind of thinking, oh shit. Like you you just got hit. Mm. Yeah. What the hell? And it blacked. It was and then nothing. Yeah. And so um I remember shortly after that, I remember the helicopter blades and you know, all that good stuff. Uh that's it. So just a bunch of like little bits and pieces for a while. Yeah. When, when when did you like kind of regain full consciousness and kind of awareness of your situation? It was like two weeks later. No shit. Really? Yeah. Um, Maybe I say that in Texas, when I woke up in Texas is when I finally was like lucid, Hmm. completely lucid um, and was processing what had happened to me. And, uh, but I was talking apparently in Afghanistan and in Germany and I was trying to like take people's Gatorades. I was talking on the phone to my, my wife at the time and I don't remember any of that, but <laughs> they were like, yeah, wow. dude, you was awake the whole time. Okay. That's incredible. So I know really weird, right? How I don't remember it, but yeah. I wasn't in a coma, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I woke up, uh, the very first memory in the States, I woke up on, I think it was Andrews, and we were on medevac plane headed back to San Antonio, and I woke up, and they were, I remember the captain, 
and the major were sitting there talking about their golf game. <laughs> and it was hot. It was so hot. Probably because I was burnt up. Sure. Not because of the weather. Mm. And I remember looking at him and I was like, who gives a fuck? Get us the hell out of here. It is hot. <laughs> and then all I remember was a woman coming over and going, it's okay, sweetheart. And we'll sleep. Just, <laughs> we're going to shut him up now. <laughs> <laughs> then I woke up in Texas and I was like, okay. Wow. So to, to kind of fill in the gaps of the broken memory, I mean, so you guys were walking on a path um, just in the general vicinity of Pymaluke. And what f- I believe the consensus is, it was a control, uh, a command wire IED. So it was remotely detonated, but not remote, like not remote control. It was like a, a wire that ran to it. Buried deep, deep, deep under that path. And it went off a couple feet in front of you. Launched you back probably 15, 20 feet. Um, and you landed on the path um, with severe, it was pretty much all hand trauma, right? Um, well, I don't think they knew of the hand trauma yet because of my gloves. Okay. Um, I was still squeezing my hands and whatnot in the, in the video. Um, so it was more, the immediate thing was my femoral. Okay. That was the, that was the immediate, uh, the camera guy had to grab it, uh, pull it out, you know, do his thing, uh, clamp it off until sure. the guy could get there to put the tourniquet on. And, um, that's how I guess I lost six nine inches or something out of that whole vein wow um so they took it from my shoulder and put it down there so i'm assuming that was the the immediate um my legs pretty much my knees to my hips were blown wide open yeah thank god for that combat diaper that thing's the real deal man to do it i remember they handed it to us when they first came out and we were all like what is this? Like chafing, everything else. And then I get to, to spur and guard and I don't see anybody without it. I was like, yeah, well, let's go and put this thing on. They, I think these guys know something. I don't, I'm going to wear this now. And yeah, I'm really yeah. happy about that. So most of the, most of the wounds initially then were the ones they were most concerned with were on the, on your lower body then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was, I had hands on the leash hand or hands on the weapon, hands on the leash. Sure. And so, you know, uh, hands were kind of right there by my thighs. Yeah. And they all kind of took the brunt of it. That's one thing I do remember from that video actually was your bust. Your weapon was just busted. The pistol grip had was sheared off. Um, and that's, they said the, the, the muzzle was like bent in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was fucked Decimated. up. So yeah. if your hand is on that thing, I mean, it's the same thing that yeah, happened to uh, both Clark <laughs> and Jay. Their hands were on their weapons and their hands caused some of, or the weapon caused some of their worst trauma. Yeah. Tom Evans' weapon hit him in the face <sighs> in a blast. Like this thing that you carry that's supposed to be your greatest defense, depending on the situation, actually ended up causing some of the worst injuries in the yeah. deployment. Well, that, they couldn't figure that out too, because a lot of people were like, "Man, you had your fingers in the video. Like, we it doesn't make sense that you don't." I'm like, "Dude, I don't know what was under those gloves when right. they cut them off. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I could have been moving just bone." Yeah, you know, and, but well, and especially yeah. hand wounds are so tricky. I mean, as you know, you know, there it's you can't recover from that kind of trauma like you can a broken leg or even a broken no. foot. It's just 
Um, the feeling and dexterity is irreplaceable. Yeah, I mean, can't. There's nothing on the human body that uh, feels and replace that you can quote unquote replace that with. Yeah. Um, and then, like the first two months, I didn't even know what I had left because mm-hmm. they couldn't up. they couldn't unwrap them or anything. So yeah. I sat there with like two balls for like t- probably a good month after I'd already gotten there and. You know, it's about a month and two weeks or so. And I was just sitting there like, so what's left? And I would ask all the doctors like, hey, what's my hand situation look like? Oh, we don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? They're like, we haven't been able to take the bandages off since you got here. So that was, uh, that was a shaky day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was wild, man. When they took them off, I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) Because at that point, they, they, you still had both hands. I mean, they were they weren't in yeah. great shape, but you still had both, right? Yeah, I had. Um, they did a, a skin graft to save the thumb, mm-hmm. and they said if now if that didn't take, they were going to have to take the thumb, which basically would have been like both hands gone. Right. But mm-hmm. um, now the left hand, I had two fingers left on it. Just it was hideous looking. I couldn't grab anything. I couldn't, you know. I was going to get more out of a prosthetic than I was out of that useless thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was easy. Like I did a bunch of research. I walked into my therapist and I was like, all right, I got a solution. She's like, what's up? Cause we were kind of putting it all together as we went because most of the injuries were leg injuries. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, they were still way behind on dexterity stuff. And, right. uh, <laughs> I walked in and I said, uh, Hey, I got I think I got to figure it out, but we're just going to cut it off. And they froze. And we're like, what? Mm. Yeah. It's just useless. So why, yeah. why are we going to keep it? It shouldn't have been as much Cut of a off. shock to them. I mean, that, that I know, that's what I thought too. Yeah. That would have been one of and, my first gut instincts. Like, hey man, <laughs> with the way prosthetics are now, just fucking take it. You know, yeah. I, I don't you blame you I mean, all. You might as, if it's useless. Now, if you have use, mm-hmm. any, any bit of use out of it, mm-hmm. keep it. Because yeah. you can't replace the feeling and all that. Right. Yeah. But right. she was like, well, let's go talk to the prosthetist first and see what he says. And, you know, we'll, we'll take his advice. And I was in there for five minutes and the dude's like, you want to, you want to play softball and lift weights and stuff again? Yeah. Cut it off. Just go ahead and cut it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she was not expecting that answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, like you make a, a really later, good point. I mean, war on terror 2012, lots of below the knee amputations, lots of leg amputations. Pretty much only people that were having arm and hand amputations also had leg amputations. Yeah. So yep. you were a very, a very unique situation where. Well, they you, didn't even do lead. Uh, what do you call it? Therapy. Yeah. I didn't even. I didn't even have leg therapy because it just they were so focused on everything else. Hmm. Now, did you break any of your legs, or did it just mess up your? Was it just no. It tore was it up? mostly nerve. Um, Nerve damage, a lot of skin grafts. Uh, there's, you know, you still can see the main vein or not vein um, tendon that operates my thigh, like it's it's exposed. Sure. And then uh, wow. most of my right knee, like the whole inner part of it, it's all the way down to the bone. So pretty much like you can knock on the bone right there. Um, yeah. So it's that, and then it just turned in. Most of it turned into blood flow issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's. I was going to lose the leg up by the hip because they lost blood flow, but then they found it. Um, I had like 17 wound backs, which uh, 
blew their mind when I rolled into the Texas hospital, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, surprised they didn't send you to to Walter Reed with with that much because of the burn unit. That's the only reason why. Oh, okay. That and that's sense. what changed the arm prosthetics down there because I went to the Center for the Intrepid. Mm-hmm. It's it's mainly geared towards legs. Yeah. They have an upper extremities department, but it, it was bare bones, sure. if you will, or just getting started. And when I went to Walter Reed on a TDY doing something, and I went to their hand department, I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. hold up. What is all this? Yeah. And I went back to the Texas and basically was like, you guys got to catch up. You're going to yeah. catch up or you're going to send me TDY and pay me a whole bunch of money to get up there and get some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they, they caught up pretty quick. And then go figure, I'm like the most basic prosthetic user ever now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, how, how has that affected your ability? I mean, you you plugged in a microphone and a USB port and headphones and stuff for this. So, I mean, you've you obviously become pretty adept with what you have, which is awesome. Y- yeah. Um, man, honestly, every day is just a different challenge, uh-huh. depending on the pain and what you got to deal with and some day, you know, some days you do it one way, some days you do it another, and um, man, I, I don't really know. I think it's just you're forced to just deal with it in sure. that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, you were you were back playing softball and lifting weights and doing all everything you said you wanted to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. back to it. Yeah, yeah, back to it, and eventually. Well, yeah, but um, it wasn't like yeah. Know. Some stuff's a little like playing golf right now. I'm learning that. Uh, and do it pretty well at it, but it's man, that's the hardest sport I've played so far. Hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, (laughs) I know, right? Like it's the craziest thing. But when I get done after like nine holes, I'm just looking at my hand and everything, and I'm like, oh, can we play softball? This is way harder. I mean, can they can they set it up where you just like have a a driver that you just attach to your your socket, so you just do that that or i mean is that yeah is it really it we came up with it yeah it's that's it's just i swear to god it is as simple as you think i called the press the 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 guy that makes all the attachments and i said hey man listen i got an idea just please do this for me i don't have a machinist that can do it Mm -hmm. Uh he's like what do you need i said well i want to stick a shank down into the end of a golf club Mm mm-hmm and then I want the hydraulic hose just coming out the end with yeah. a screw on it so I can screw it into my arm. <laughs> and he's like, well, the science behind that, I, was like, I don't care. I don't care about the science. Just please make me this thing. I need it like two inches <clears throat> with a big old shank on the end of it. Okay, cool. So he made it, sent it. I stripped the thing off the golf, the grip off the golf club. I glued it down in there and I re-gripped it. There we go. Nice. Worked. Man, worse, the only thing you got to worry about is if it slips out or, you know, the club head or something. Yeah. Other than that, man, it, <laughs> you just give, hey, it, it, give it a good drive and it yep. yeah. goes goes about 100 yards with the uh, with the ball. <laughs> go, yeah, right. Hey, I did. One of the first ones, I guess the glue had not completely seated. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I was at a, I was, I worked with For the Fallen, a, a nonprofit organization, and uh, we were putting on a, a golf tournament. <laughs> and I'm on like the first tee box talking shit. Because a buddy's there, and I'm like, man, you ain't seen this thing. Like, I had this on the driving range. Y'all about to be embarrassed. <laughs> I get up there, and I'm like, boom. I hit the ball, and the whole club goes flying <laughs> all the way behind me. It goes in the lake of the next hole. 
Yeah. Like up by the green, it's just floating <laughs> in the lake, like a $400 brand new Cobra driver they gave me. And I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, I got some guy to go fish it out with his little ball thing and just hand it to him. I'm like, well, I guess she's done for the day. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, glue her back together. It's like Chubbs and Happy Gilmore. Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> I got the gator. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Okay. Yeah, I know what just went through your head, man. I got the Taliban guy that took your hand. Oh, man. <laughs> I got a gift for you. Oh, Jesus. I won't do that to you. <laughs> I saw, uh, be a I saw up how it ended in know, the movie. I know, right? Like, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd look at him like, oh, shake your hand or wait, two. No, I don't want to shake your hand. Hey, let me see your hand. <laughs> let me do this with elbows. We do an elbow, let's dap it up. <laughs> oh man! Now you were—you uh, were also had the privilege of adopting Aza at some point did, during man. recovery. When was that able to to go through? Because she was messed up too. You were saying, yeah, she had uh, her whole demeanor changed. I mean, she was uh, a a real spry, spunky, older but young mentality type dog. Mm-hmm. Um, she had had a prior history of dog fighting and being kind of overly aggressive. I didn't really have that, those issues out of her. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe she matured or whatnot, but she still had it in her. And I swear, man, after the hit, when she came to visit me in the hospital, that was, she was, it was like her eyes had glazed over. Um, obviously, I'm sure she had some eardrum issues and she she would work just because she knew that's what she was supposed to do. But if I was, anywhere within the vicinity and she knew it she wouldn't do it nothing mm. period she was i, I gotta get over there to him lay down next to him do whatever i gotta see him at least and but she wouldn't do it mm. she would just find her a little happy place in a corner somewhere and just as long as she could see or hear she was sleeping mm-hmm. so I, yeah it's weird i don't know if maybe the because what was it also really weird was when she visited me in the hospital and she smelled my wounds and stuff, which mm. obviously, you know, they can smell for a lot. I swear when she did for the first time, I saw every, every thing in that brain just churn it. Yeah. Like she had Trying smelled it before it and it took her right back to that spot where she mm. was like, Oh my God. Mm. And once I saw that, I was like, Ooh, you, yeah, you're you're really paying attention to what's going on right now. That's yeah. not really like normally you'd be all happy feet and running around going nuts, but she was different. Was it was it a was it a significant process to be able to adopt oh. her, or was it pretty much automatic? I mean, where they were just like, yeah, done. Because I imagine verbally they were pretty much like it was automatic. You know, okay. yeah, good, done. You got hit with the dog. Dog's gonna become yours. Um, mm-hmm. They did know my personality. I mean, if that was a a two-year-old dog in the middle of the fight, I wouldn't take him out unless mm-hmm. he had to be out. Yeah. It's just, I love the dogs, but if I know that dog can go over there and save lives, why roll the dice and try to get another dog that maybe can do it? Mm-hmm. Um, but didn't, you know, she was old. They, uh, you know, she'd obviously had some PTSD issues related, especially to the gunfire that uh, we could, we could use in the video in order to justify uh, retiring her. And so basically you got to kind of make a video that shows the 
the digression, if you will, and um, some of the performance and this not this the age and everything kind of takes into account, and then it just goes through a process. Mm-hmm. It goes to Lackland actually, and they yeah. review the they review all the videos, and uh, as long as it's done in the right manner, in the right order, the way they deem, you know, it's just a, a paperwork issue then. Yeah. So, how long do you have to wait? You know, maybe six months, six to eight months after I got out of the hospital. So it was. uh, It's a pretty decent wait. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, the the process is not fast. Yeah. It's at least you know you get them back, you get all the vet stuff done a couple weeks, then you get you know you acclimated for a couple weeks. They can't train or do anything. Then Mm -hmm. you run them through the test. Then they watch it down at Lackland along with every other dog that's trying to get retired out of the military and, you know, go through that whole process. So typical military, you know, it's process that probably isn't as fast as it needs to be, but always takes time. I mean, I feel like at that point it should be, like you said, it should be automatic. Like you got got hit with the dog, the dog should. When I went back to the base, the commander I had my own Belgian Malinois that that didn't like other dogs and he was a beast. (laughs) So I had to find a place for him to stay. And the commander was like, all right, while you're back in Alaska, dog's yours, you know, I deem her quote unquote retired. She's not going. So she came home for a couple of days. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. Then I had to take her back. But so it was unspoken rule, but. Just had to go through the formalities. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the that time that you had with her after, I mean, how how did that help your recovery, both you know physically and you know mentally? Probably. Man, it's hard to put into words because it's it's a lot of unspoken bond, if you will. Um, I think it's just the stress of uh or just the not want to say stress wrong word, um comfortability of having someone there mm-hmm. that it's kind of like we talked about when you talk to other veterans and you get this so like euphoric high because you haven't in a while or you know a while or you hadn't shown that side of your yourself in a while and that's usually your most confident take charge type self um yeah you had it sitting right down there below you and there's couldn't speak Plus, she saved, I mean, more or less, she probably saved my life that day. So, I mean, I owed it to her to give her about as comfortable life as I could, you know, all the way out. Because had I not stopped walking to let her finish whatever she was smelling at the time, I might have been right on top of it. Yeah. So, you know, even though she worked her way around it, you know, done her thing over there and, you know, tunneled in, whether she hit the odor, not hit the odor. How you want to look at it? I still stopped in my tracks to let her smell. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. cause I mean, you were close enough to get serious, serious wounds, but you right. weren't on top of it. So you didn't lose a leg. You didn't break any bones in your legs, which is to me stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind uh, of a, me too. a fascinating, you know, broke my arm. I did break my arm. Broke your arm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely messed your arms up for sure, which t- it just kind of, in my mind, I'm seeing how it, like that V yeah. of the blast would come up Same. and like you had to be so close for your legs to be safe, but your arms mm-hmm. not to be. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it, to me, it's wild. Yeah. Even me, like in the hospital when I was trying to 
process the blast. Yeah. I was the same way. I was like, how? But how did I not lose? Like, I'm trying to run it through in my head, and I'm like, this don't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. if I'd have been on top of it the way it did, it would have came from underneath me. Probably would have killed me. I think you, you, I think, yeah, Yeah. most likely. Yeah. But, or you would have lost both your legs. I mean, right. But to be so close to where it hits me knees up Mm -hmm. and it don't get Aza at all. Cause she was past it, right? She was right. She was on the, yeah, yeah, she was on the other side. But still, you'd have figured like something would have got her shot wise. Again, I think it's because it was so deeply buried. Uh, You might be right. You know, I think it's just. Because it was it, all the force went up, like there was yep. hardly any like outward force. I mean, well, you can even berm, see that in the video. The berm, the berm mm-hmm. uh, helped with some of it, but yeah, yeah, it was the same way. I was like, man, this don't make sense. Like, how somebody, some somebody screwed up and they planted this thing. Fucking Jamal, <laughs> god damn it! Right, <laughs> damn it, Jamal. I actually had a buddy, a handler that was. Uh, he went out there. I don't know if y'all just stood out there. Um, I think it maybe had been the next rotation. And he's like, dude, I walked right through your blast site. Really? And he's like, I walked right, I saw the crater, everything like months later. It's nuts. Yeah. He goes, wow. That was big. It's a big explosion. It was dude. a big charge, man. Yeah. See, I hadn't experienced mm-hmm. you guys are over there experiencing all these things. For me, it was like one of my first close encounter blasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you gotta put it in so context. I was like, yeah. So in Panjway context. It, it was a huge was a dismounted one. IED. Yeah. And the grand global war on terror, no, tiny. But I mean, well, 20, yeah, pounds, I mean, 20 pounds of Panjway is a big IED. Yeah. You know, that was a big one but, for us, man. Like when I, I've only seen the video once, but then I went back and kind of scanned through some of the footage. Didn't watch it because I can't watch it. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. But I watched that initial blast and I was like, damn, it was a big fucker. You That's know. what I, well, I was, I guess I just had anything to base it on, but like you said, you know, we thought we were in a normal situation with all mm-hmm. the stuff we were going to. And then you talk to other people around the way and it's like, this is not, it's normal. not normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I didn't think nothing of it, especially considering the first few we found. That's what I found eerie was that we had been all over the place in that little area for four days or three days or however mm-hmm. many. Ran across three different IEDs, possibly four on that first patrol that we just, the the tanker lieutenant, he's just like, yeah, okay, we're just not going to go that way. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, so possibly four, and then all they were all passive pressure plates. Yep. And then we switched to a massive dismounted Command controlled, wire. like, yeah. What? What gives? Like, why, why the sudden change in tactics? What happened? That the only thing I can think is that that road it was a fairly wide road, so maybe they thought at some point they would catch like an A and A Humvee out there, um, or one of the Rangers. Um, Because you you talked about being buried deep, and I suspect that it it had been there a while. Yeah, probably. Could have been. I guess they just buried it. Well, especially the way they were running out, just throwing. I mean, that's what we were finding. They were just throwing nine volts, you know. Okay, but nine volt to here. Who knows how long it's been there? Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. So I suspect you know, that what probably happened is they 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 probably buried it and waited, and you know when they saw the opportunity when it arose and they they acted on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a good guess. That was probably a good guess. Yeah. That was, yeah, it was wild because it was a finding the first like two or three and dealing with just the pressure. I was like, okay, I could, like, this sucks, but I could work with this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I could make something work with this. Man, you can't work with those. No. You're screwed. Yeah. It's just some dude just pushing a button. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, you know, going over, looking at the video and they were arguing about which way to go. Mm-hmm. You know, do we go left or do we go right? Do we got main road? Do we go ditch? Do, you know, and I, once we kind of figured out where we were as on hard pack, we were like, all of us were like, yo, bad idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But let's get out of here and it's too late. I mean, and, you know, I can't really fault them for, for being on. I mean, we, we would be on hard pack for 15, 20 feet at a time, too. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes you, it's the choice you make to go a short distance down a road and then you get off of it. It's part of that unpredictability, right? Like, so you're not always not on the roads and you're not always on the roads. If you mix it up a little bit, it kind of makes it a little bit harder for them to know what you're doing. But man, sometimes it's just, yeah, I mean, it's just set up and it's today's your day. You have a choice. Yep. And I mean, the the way we were going with that, I mean, we knew how the sporadic fire was, Mm -hmm. which we had taken. Is either to push you or pull you and, that was to push mm-hmm. and you know maybe we should have pulled but it is what it is yeah and i mean yeah. that that moment kind of became the the apex and the climax or whatever you want to call it of the the documentary mm-hmm. um yeah i mean and it aired on animal planet it aired on you know it was syndicated on all kinds of other stations you did interviews on fox and cnn and all these places i mean and they played that video over and over yeah, I mean, over what what was it like to to do this promotion for this documentary and then knowing that millions of people watched this happen to you like this this very personal moment for you and you had to share it with the entire fucking country yeah i didn't really have a, too much of a choice on it uh <laughs> I, you know Looking back on it, uh, I so much believed in what I was doing and, you know, the routes and the decision I was making and the choices. Man, I never gave it a second thought. Like, I'm, I'm really at peace with it. I, I mean, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I still get frustrated and pissed off because I ain't got no hands and, you know, I'm trying to, sure. I don't know, tie my daughter's yeah. shoe or something. Yeah. But it's neither here nor there. I'm good with it because I was good. I was prepared to do whatever I needed to do over there to get it done. Yeah. Mm. And so I think in the back of my head, I'd already kind of prepped myself to possibly not just not come back or, you know, whatever. Mm. And so looking at it and still being here breathing and talking to all the people that, you know, made it back that day, everybody made it back that day. Everyone did. So Lieutenant McGrath like, broke his arm and that was the end of his right. deployment as well. But he made it. And he made it. But he made it. Um, so I'm good with it. You know, had you told me somebody had died or there was a secondary and I'd probably have a lot of trouble with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I would have felt like I didn't get the job done that day to, to, to do whatever. Um, well, I'll but, say, oh, man, I mean, I thought you were a phenomenal ambassador for, the canine community for the air force for everyone that served in that area. Um, you know, every time you showed up on an interview or every time you, 
you know, you sat down with somebody, uh, we were definitely thankful that it was you out there kind of somewhat representing our experience. So I think, I think you nailed it out of the park. I don't think I would have had the, the fortitude to sit there and watch that happen over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Uh, and then talk to a reporter or an anchor about it. So <laughs> I just that, don't think anybody really grasped how, how much shit you guys are going through. I mean, that's why I was just like, (laughs) I was like, yo, these, like, these dudes are out here. Y'all are talking about, oh my God, we can't believe you went out on a mission. You're going to have to go out and put it all. And I'm sitting over here like, I don't really care. Like, look at these dudes. Like, they're beat to hell. Hmm. Like, come on. That's so. I think the fact that I thought about that every time I looked at everything, it just, you know, it's peanut. It's just small things in my world compared to the, the grand scheme of things. So it's weird. I don't know, man. I, it's, it's hard to say, like, how it really affects me emotionally because, um, yeah, especially considering how private of a person I normally am, mm-hmm. I just felt like I owed it to you guys and I owed it to the career field to kind of put uh, – put a good name out there for them because I did feel like that some of the canine guys and some of the, the career fields and some of the stuff we were doing weren't taken quite as seriously as it was. Um, meaning when we were asking about doing some specialized training or we were asking about not having to do as much of the, uh, and it sounds bad, but people in the, situational know what I'm talking about when you're top, not having to bleed 15 people on top of your dog on top of the flight chief running law enforcement on the base and yeah just doing a lot of different things that could take away from your your combat training and, and possibly put other lives in, in jeopardy hmm. you know I wanted someone to see how serious that was like, like how much you know because I talked about it before deployment the fact that I was in Alaska the fact that I had all these you know walls in front of me and you still go over there and get the job done just because it's what you got to do but you know to for the commanders to see like oh we got a couple air force con- you know canine guys going out i didn't want them to look at it like it was just odd oh, they're going to qatar or somewhere to search a couple you know trucks i wanted to realize like these dudes really put the work in so let's mm-hmm. respect it yeah yeah i mean you were at every bit of a grunt as we were you know, walking the same patrols, doing the same job. And like I mentioned earlier in the interview, that wasn't something that was normal or asked of military canine handlers previously. It's a law enforcement field, you know, it's, it's not attacked. It's they're not even breeding or training these dogs for tactical deployment, except in special operations. And that's a completely different program. So you guys are kind of asked to fill a very unique role that had not really existed since, um, probably the Vietnam war. Really? Yeah. And uh, and to be honest with you, it's funny you say that. There was a lot of feedback um, from the Vietnam dog handling community, if you will. Uh-huh. Really? Positive, Pissed. I hope. No. Really? No. So mad about the missions we were going on. About how we were going about. Not not hmm. not like us. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. The, the, like, the overall what we were doing. Hmm. They were like, that is dumb. That's like, why are you just going out there to like, they were just not happy with the, the presence missions that we were showing because they were like, man, you saw it on camera, just blow it up. Why are we sending people out there? Like, I don't get, 
So that was their mentality going in. That was, that was a lot of their feedback. They weren't, they weren't happy of what they were asking hmm. the dog handlers to do. So, I mean, it was, yeah, a, was, it was a tough ask of you guys, man. I mean, we, you know, we were trying to throw every single asset possible at keeping legs attached to bodies, man. Whether it well, was a dog. Remember, we were going to bring in a little bulldozers. Yeah. The little... remote control bulldozers. <laughs> and they wanted that to be in front of the dogs while we searched. And I'm like, what? Yeah. No. That thing was that a terrible was idea. Many, many pickles. It was a whole yeah, that thing got us many pickles. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. that and well, the dogs and EOD and engineers and, right? you know, all the, I mean, later deployments, they even stopped using the the military law enforcement working dogs and they started giving infantrymen dogs mm-hmm. the, the TED program. And that was a nightmare. Like, yeah, I mean, that was a horrible idea. Horrible, oh, horrible. Oh, for disaster. For sure. It was, it was yeah. ugly. Just, it was just giving 11 Bravo a dog. Like a yeah. month before his deployment, because <laughs> I heard about this yeah. uh, going down range, and I was still, I, I just, I still couldn't wrap my head around what people were telling me. I'm like, wait, what? You're like, yeah, TED program, this, that. And I'm like, who's going out with these guys? I don't want to go out with these guys. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, want a part of these. I mean, a, a critical part of how why you guys were so effective was that you could tell somebody no if the commander said yeah. hey you have to go out on this mission you can say hey i cannot take my dog on a 14 hour patrol like you i cannot do that to the dog i don't have the resources to support it the dog can't go on no i will not search that building with my dog because it's an un- it's an unreasonable risk to my dog for no reward but if you're a PFC, or this glass like this, mm-hmm. this thing, right? <laughs> but if you're a PFC and you and you just happen to can't have a dog, no. you can't tell your commander no. You're gonna nope. do it, and then you're gonna get fucked up. And we were we were preached that. Yeah. I mean they they told us, hey, you ultimately have control of this. You know, if you don't feel like it's safe, or you don't feel like you know, you can make the call. Um, you also will be labeled if you make that call, and you ha- it's not you have warranted. to use it very sparingly. Yes, in the right um, scenario. Because I mean, even me being a tech sergeant out there, subject matter expert, I couldn't just look at the LT and be like, "You're stupid." I'm gonna medevac out of here. Like, it's, yeah, just don't work like that. You got to You know, you still. Well, and being, I think that's that's the maturity there is say it's you. you don't quit middle mission. You say, "Hey, this is not a right. mission that we can support," or mm-hmm. "I can't right. support a particular." thing on this mission like i'm not going to send my dog in blind into a gray putt to clear it like that kind of thing Uh, or i can't turn my dog around six hours later to go back out on another 15 hour mission right (laughs) right right so but you can (laughs) that's what i that's what i heard of going but you could you could could, right you could could. whether the dog's worth it or not it's a good but i ain't gonna do it right Mm. so leonard way we always close uh Way we way we always close these things out is we kind of give you a chance to anything that we've kind of missed in the course of the interview that you would want to talk about. I noticed you're wearing the shirt for the charity support, so I don't know if you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, but for the last couple minutes of the podcast, the floor oh, is yours. Yeah. Um, I you know I'm not the hugest guy for like you know saying a whole whole bunch of stuff because I think you you know shorts always sweet, but. I want to thank you guys, man. You guys are bringing this, you know, to the forefront and filling in a gaps for me, giving me closure and B just 
even bringing that little euphoric high for a second, just talking to old vets about old work. You know, I mean, really, you you have no idea. It goes so far into the grand scheme of things in the world. A 15-minute conversation can save someone's life for a week. Yeah. So you'd be shocked. And, you know, yeah, I do represent um, – I play softball and work with a nonprofit organization with For the Fallen. Uh, we do golf tournaments and um, – we're very, we're direct impact. We give a direct impact back. So there's no middleman. There's no, you know, if we see an issue that needs solved or help with a veteran, we like to immediately uh, find a way to get it solved. Um, so you can always look them up. And then I always have my little red athlete here, uh, softball guy that we always get our, uh, some of our equipment and some of our, our um, apparel and stuff like that from. So I always have him out there and give him a little shout out. But Really, man, I just, I want to thank you guys for having me on, man. I enjoyed it. I can't, you know, I can't thank you guys enough for putting up with me for a week in, in the middle of hell <laughs> and then coming to my couch in my living room in the middle of South Carolina. That's where we are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> IED, man. IED. Yeah. I can't. That TBI. Yeah. Man. yeah. Memories, all that good stuff. Well, I'll tell you, man. But no, seriously, man. Thank you. I, I can't thank you guys enough. It's good to talk to you guys. And thank yeah. you, man. And Same here. anytime, yeah. you know, you got our personal contact info, hit us up anytime. And I, we, we'll, we got the live episodes coming back up. So you feel free to join us anytime for a live episode. And oh, yeah. Shoot let me know, shit. man. I yeah. would love to. I would love to jump on every once in a while and just shoot the shit with oh, you guys. Yeah, it's fun, man. man. Be a good time. Hell yeah. Definitely. I have to get my own little setup though. <laughs> yeah, we, so we, got, we need so that I one back. <laughs> I got everything on the on the good. I got to get the non blown up side. I, you know, I got a lazy side now. Yeah, this <laughs> <laughs> is what my friend's daughter told me the other day. She's like, "You got a lazy eye, Uncle Lenny." I'm like. I've never punched a kid, but I will. <laughs> I'll start with you. <laughs> yeah. I'll start with you. Like, damn it, Sydney. All right, man. Yeah, well, so thanks, yeah, thanks again for. Uh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it, brother. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pandroy Podcast. If you liked what you heard, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. New episodes every Monday on all major podcast platforms, Facebook, and YouTube. Visit www.thepandwaypodcast.com for more information.